0: Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Good morning. It's always a blessing to be able to open the word with you this morning. Today, we'll be in the book of Colossians. So, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 this morning, we'll be looking at verses 12 through 17, but really referencing the whole book of Colossians as a whole throughout. I've entitled this sermon, The Necessity of Thankfulness. Uh, and, And thankfulness is necessary not just because God is worthy of our thanks but because thankfulness as a discipline forms the life of Jesus in us at every level. That's in our thankfulness and our thanksgiving, that the gospel actually takes root in us more deeply. And that's what Paul is getting at in Colossians 3. And I think this is a fitting exploration as we take a moment to look at 2019 and all that it held and we look ahead to what 2020, rather, holds for us. Let's read Colossians three together, beginning in verse 12, Colossians chapter three. This is what the word of the Lord says: "Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience bearing with one another, and if one complaint, one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful The theme of Colossians is the book is that of preeminence. Now I know that's a kind of10 dollar theological word we don 't usually use in our everyday vocabulary, but basically the word that's translated preeminence uh, is the word for supreme having first having first superior status in life and so paul 's point in the book of Colossians is to show us that Jesus, the one in whom we've celebrated that has come to us in the flesh, is supreme in all things. He is before all things and by him all things have come into being. In him all things are sustained and find their fullness. And as we live in all things, in his power, We find fullness in all things. So you'll see this theme throughout Colossians of Christ's supremeness in all things. Preeminence is of first importance. And just as Christ is preeminent in all things, he must be supreme or first in our life. So this is, again, a fitting place for us to look as we look ahead to 2020, that Christ must take First place. He must be supreme. So that's the background of the book of Colossians. That's his primary theme. But there's another theme in the book of Colossians that's easily overwhelmed by such a huge, vast theme like the preeminence of Christ. That this philosophical treatise as to how everything came into being, how everything is sustained, and how everything is fulfilled in Jesus. That's quite a huge uh, theme, right? But there's another theme here that's easily missed, and that is the theme of thankfulness or thanksgiving. Paul uses this term throughout the book of Colossians. As a matter of fact, he uses it uh, in many of his letters to point us to something. You see, Paul often makes thanksgiving a part of the content of his letters. It may introduce uh, the principal theme of the book, which here he does uh, in Colossians chapter 1, even as early as verses 3 and 4, in his prayers to and about the Colossians. We see here that he's actually introducing the supremacy of Jesus in all things in his thanksgiving. He's directing us to this. So thanksgiving goes with joy and confession in Colossians chapter 1 verse 12. As I said earlier, it introduces the book in verses 3 and 4. It lays a Christological basis for us in chapter 2, verse 7, of who Jesus is, what he's to bring about in us as supreme. And then he gives us a general exhortation in chapter 3, verse 15. And then finally, we see in verses, or chapter 4, verse 2, that it is also in thanksgiving that prayer is the proper mode of our eschatological vigilance, being that we are waiting, awaiting the return of the Savior in watchfulness as we wait for him in our prayerful thanksgiving. So thankful, thanksgiving and thankfulness is spread out throughout the book of Colossians because here's the reality of things. Thankfulness brings the reality of Christ's preeminence, his first importance, his supremeness to everyday life to everyday life. And that's Paul's focus in chapters three and four. He's he's laid forth that Jesus is supreme in all things, and now he parses out for us in chapters three and four how that translates to our life and even goes into specifics into how it translates in our roles in life, whether it be as husbands, as wives, as children, as employers, as employees, even, even to that extent. But here we have throughout all that this interlacing of the place of thanksgiving and thankfulness. In that, it's key. You see, thankfulness, um, so thankfulness not only brings preeminence to everyday life, but it weaves together Paul's focus in the book of Colossians. So you, we may be left asking what is thankfulness? What is thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is this, it is the expressing an attitude towards God that is the condition of our enjoyment. So without Thanksgiving, there is no enjoyment. We'll get to that. Simply, it's this, it is grace returned for grace received. In the Greek language, which is what the original uh, New Testament was written in, the word for grace and gratitude and joy all are the same word. They come from, it's from the same root. It's the word, this word has to do with favor or health and well-being. And here's how it works together spiritually. Grace naturally produces gratitude. So as we receive the grace of God, unmerited favor on our behalf given to us for our well-being, then we then echo and reciprocate that back to God in our gratitude. And so, as theologian Karl Barth says this, the two belong together like heaven and earth, being grace and gratitude, or thanksgiving, same, it's the same word here, okay? They belong together like heaven and earth. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice of an echo. And that gratitude follows grace like thunder follows lightning. Love that image. That our gratitude and our thankfulness is meant to follow God's grace in such a way. There is a television show that I'm often subjected to that involves British people baking things in our house. Um, uh, I'm often in the room when this occurs. Uh, I don't really know what's going on most of the time. I don't even know what items are being made, typically. Biscuits or cookies, and there's all kind of different names for things and everything else. But one of the things that I've noticed just in passing as I'm watching this is that many of the items have multiple steps involved. I mean, sometimes they can have as many as five to six hours to do this. But you're like, well, of course, you can throw something together in that time, right? And you're like, for the bakers in the room, well, of course not, Brandon. I, I don't do much baking, as you can tell, unless pancakes count. Uh, that, uh, there's not much baking that goes on. But here's, here's kind of the general gist of it, is that these multiple steps that, that occur generally mix, need proof sometimes knead again, sometimes proof it again, and then take it out and do all of this again and again, and sometimes in multiple fashions before you can then bake it. And the other thing I've noticed that if one of these steps is missed or there's a mishap in one of them, what will typically happen is that there's some kind of compromise of the structural integrity of that item. But if they are done properly, there's this Added layering of flavor and texture and depth that wouldn't occur otherwise. All without adding additional ingredients in any way. It's just a method of working that item or the material deeper within it. And so the same material is worked in multiple ways. And that allows those key ingredients to meld to deepen, and eventually to bring out their fullness as a result. And I would venture this morning to tell you that in much the same way, there's a layering of thanks that empowers the Christian's life, that works and deepens and melds the grace of God in our life to bring out its fullness in us. And that's what Paul is pointing us to here. So here's the main point that I have for you out of this passage of Scripture, and that is this, that through thankfulness, the Christian's newness of life actually gains shape and dimension. That it is through our thankfulness that the likeness of Jesus takes shape in us. That it is how grace works in us in every dimension. And just as there's a layered richness to the gospel, there is a layered richness meant for the life of the Christian through thankfulness. You see, thankfulness, thanksgiving, thankfulness, gratitude, I'm going to use these kind of universally as synonyms because they, they really are the same word here. Thankfulness brings shape and dimension to the Christian life as it works in a newness of life. You see, it's for this reason. Thankfulness isn't just some accessory to the Christian life, like kind of a cool after, you know, add-on to that. Some that we kind of sprinkle in here or there at certain moments or certain seasons, right, even. But thankfulness is actually an essential of the Christian life. Paul is, is laboring to show us. You see, thankfulness is the link in chapter three between the putting off of the old self in sin and unrighteousness and the putting on of the new self. And as one commentator explains, the Christian has already put on the new self in Christ, verse 10 of chapter 3. Now he must clothe himself with the garments fitting for the new self. For Paul, thanksgiving actualizes this change. And so another commentator remarks this, In thankfulness, we dress in the custom wardrobe God has picked out for us. I love that picture. And you see, the new wardrobe that God has picked out for us are the virtues of Christ that he goes to list here in chapter 3. And Paul goes on to unpack these to show us that it's these layers of the new self that are being fitted for the Christian in life and are meant for us to put on and cultivate and seek to fill out as God has custom fit these for us in each and every one of our unique ways that he's graced us. And so I want to give you from these verses... Three dimensions of thankfulness that correspond to three layers of our new self in Christ Jesus. So three dimensions of thankfulness that correspond to these three layers of the new self in Christ Jesus. And I'm taking this from the th- there are three times in the span of four verses that Paul calls our attention to thankfulness or thanks- thanksgiving. He uses it in three different ways, and he connects it with three different realities that are ours in Christ Jesus. And he shows us a unique way that thankfulness or thanksgiving impresses those realities in us. Okay, So, dimension number one. That being thankful, the Christian puts on love as chosen. See this in verses 14 and 15. Paul tells us in verse 15, he uses the the term be thankful. That is a form, an adjectival form used there. So, what does that mean? That means this is something that is to characterize us, it is is to be a part of us. Okay, it's to be something that that, that is descriptive of us. And so, this is a statement of identity that roots our thanks. You have been chosen, verse 12 says. That because you are chosen, be thankful. You see, this is the first reality of the Christian life. Don't miss this, this is important. We are chosen. You are not an accident. You are not a Christian because you made yourself or decided to be one. You are a Christian because God chose you. You are chosen. The first, this is the first foundational reality of the Christian that roots the newness of life for the Christian. So in Colossians chapter 1, Paul shows us a little bit more of this. He opens this up to show us the reality of the Christian's identity. A Christian is someone who at the core root of their identity is this. They are with Jesus. Now think about that for a second. Where is Jesus right now? Of course, he's in our midst, but he is, according to Colossians 3, the first few verses, he is seated at the right hand of God, verse 1. And a Christian then is someone who is with Christ. So here's what this means. As a Christian, you are where your identity is, and that's where Jesus is. You have been raised with him. Your core identity is firmly fixed and seated at the right hand of God. Just as Christ is surely supreme and he is forever enthroned, unmoved, victorious, so sure is your identity in him. Be thankful, therefore, he says, and let your thankfulness reverberate to remind yourself of these realities which are yours forever unmoved. For you are chosen and kept in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul is telling us. You see, this is important for us because as human beings, we forget who we are more than anything else. You've you've seen this, right? The scriptures show us this. We've been walking through a series uh, on the book of Genesis, and you see this kind of time and time again, right? Um, Adam and Eve forgot who they were, so they sinned, right? Noah forgot who he was. David, if you keep reading, David forgot who he was. And then we even come to the point to where we see Peter and the disciples forget who they were in Christ Jesus. And inevitably, coming upon the heels of that forgetfulness is brokenness, disobedience. We also see this in continual stories around us, right? Of humiliation, of broken lives, those who had it well who had everything going for them, but somehow they forgot who they were and were misled into a wreckage of their life. And so the remedy of this aimless sort of self-destruction is remembering who you are. And thankfulness does this, Paul tells us. Thankfulness roots us in who we really are in Christ Jesus. Be thankful, he says, verse 14 and 15, for you as God's chosen ones. Henry Nowen is a respected um, author, pastor um, in the field of mental health as well. But uh, he he writes this, gratitude is the most fruitful way of deepening your consciousness that you are are not an accident, but a divine choice. Some of you need to hear that this morning. You're not an accident. In Christ, you are God's choice. And so Paul says then, let thankfulness be the condition of your attitude in response to this reality. That make thankfulness your default position is what he's getting at here. You know, I'm kind of a naturally kind of a little bit of a pessimist. I don't know if any of you kind of fall into that camp as well. But that's kind of me. Uh, and so my, it's easy for me to default there a little bit, you know. So it can be like kind of dry humor, you know, those kind of things. But you, it can teeter over into, into that. But Paul is saying this. Let your attitude as a default in Christ, as those who are chosen become that what aligns to your identity being chosen. Let your attitude conform to your identity. And that identity is that you are chosen. So let thankfulness be your default position. So the Christian being thankful for such an identity, well kept in Christ, then puts on love, Paul goes on to tell us. Verse 14, and what does love do? He says, it binds and it harmonizes. This is the, a lot of another major focal point of Colossians that it makes us complete in Christ, that there is harmony to all things because Christ is supreme over all things in all things, and all things find their fullness in him. And so, Christ being supreme, and our identity being rooted in him, as chosen in him, we then put on his love, we put on his virtue as our own, and when we do so, peace rules our hearts, he says. Verse 15. Why does peace rule in your heart? Because the love of God unifies you. The love of God brings a unifying reality that binds everything together. It brings harmony and integrity to the very character of your life because you are chosen. And so you put on love. So what happens when this reality sets in? Verse 15 tells us the peace of Christ indwells our hearts. The peace of Christ rules our hearts, he says. It has dominion over us. Who doesn't want peace to reign in them in a new year, right? the way to do so is to press yourself more deeply into thankfulness and, and the reality of who you are in Christ Jesus, to press into Jesus here. And so what does this mean for us? It means that there can be no more disunity, nothing contrary to the life of Jesus that can abide in the character of the Christian. So you have to cast off anything that's contrary to the life of Jesus in obedience to him. Also, this means we have to cast off any disintegration that is happening in us, being pulled in a myriad of different directions and finding our identity in all of these different things and being shaped by all of these things. Because everything is fully Christ's and so are you. Paul says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so what does that mean? This is key. Your identity is not up for grabs. It is not under threat. It is set secure as a chosen one in Christ. So having such a unity in love flowing out of our identity then has a corporate dimension to it as well. Paul's going to go on in each and every one of these to show us how these realities of the Christian— Uh, that are fixed in the character of Jesus and his likeness are meant to come out of us and correspond to us. But then also there's this corporate dimension that defines our gathering together. And this this is what he does here. That as we are promoting unity and harmony through the gospel in our own being, as we thank God for our identity being chosen, then flowing out of our identity, we seek oneness in the church, he says. Verse 15, it's it's that our unity and our harmony in love for the body of Christ then, then calls forth this unity and harmony in one another's lives. You see, in our thanks, we remind ourselves and promote peace and unity in our own life. But then as we do this, These realities, we remind one another corporately of these things as we promote peace and harmony and fellowship with love with one another. And so your thanksgiving not only serves to remind you and press you into this, but it serves to remind those around you of this reality as well, of who they are. They are chosen. And so there's a cohesive unity in the life of the Christian and a depth in their identity that manifests in being chosen. So Christian, you ready for this? Christian, remember who you are. Be thankful and put on love as chosen. Remember who you are. That's important. That's the first dimension. The second dimension is this. With thankfulness, The word of the gospel dwells richly in the Christian as holy. So with thankfulness, the word of the gospel dwells richly in the Christian as holy. Verse 16 is the second usage of this term that Paul uses here. Again, he's lacing our thankfulness in these gospel realities of the new self. Okay, this is dimension two. This time in verse 16, he says, with thankfulness in your hearts. Here it is in the form of a noun. Noun's a thing, right? Person, place, thing. It's something you have, okay? It is something related here in in the language. It's a substantive related to the main meaning of the sentence by way of a preposition. I have no idea what that means. I just know it means this. With this, okay? In your hearts. It's something you possess. Something you carry with you. So he says, carry this with you. In your hearts. So this is a statement of our condition that roots thankfulness in our hearts. You are set apart, again, verse 12, as holy. First declaration, you are, God's chosen one second, you are holy. You are set apart, uncommon. If you are in Christ, this is the reality that's yours. The second reality of the Christian, they are holy. Holy. I no, that's not a term. It not feel like I'm holy, right? Not, it might be a term that's kind of disdained a little bit, unfashionable seemingly, right? But holiness defines the newness of the Christian life, and it's simply this. It's not common. Because my identity is not common, it's not rooted in the everyday things, that might come into my life, that might, that might pull upon me, tug me in every direction, just in such the same way, holiness now defines me, not everything else, okay? It defines the, the condition of my life and what I do, how I do it. Paul opens this up for us again in Colossians 3, 2, to show us this reality of the Christian as holy and uncommon. Just as our identity is where Christ is, so too is our thinking to be. So too is our dwelling upon something to be. You see this in verse 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, verse 1, then verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are the earth. So he says, what he says here is of key importance to us, that what we dwell upon dwells most within us. I kind of stuttered there a little bit. What we dwell upon dwells most within us. You know this, right? What, what I tumble around in my head all day finds its way into my heart, and it sits there, right? And it influences how I, how I describe things and what's descriptive of me, right? Becomes characteristic of me. What you dwell upon most dwells within you most. So don't dwell on your thinking on simply on the things of the world, but make your dwelling in the truth and let it dwell in you. And so key question here. As you look back at 2019, what thoughts and ideas commanded your attention in 2019? And how did that shape you? What did it produce in you? And then what will you make room for most? That's what Paul's calling forth here. It's the term used. What will you make room for most within you in 2020? If you're a believer, let it be these realities of ours, chosen holy. But then here's how to do this. Paul says then, how do you do this? You have the word word richly dwell in you with thankfulness, he says. Verse 16, the word of Christ is key here. The word is key here, he says. We are to immerse ourselves in gospel truth, is what he's saying. Immerse yourself. You don't mentally grasp the truths of scripture and move on. You don't mentally give assent to the gospel and move on. Yes, I understand that. I get that. No, you come back to it. You're instructed in it. You're exhorted in it. You're encouraged in it. You have to return to it over and over and over again. He says, let these things dwell richly in you. By teaching and admonishing in all wisdom. The Christian then, with thankfulness in their heart, then dwells richly in gospel truth. Our minds, our hearts will be indwelled with something. Might it be gospel truth? So what does this indwelling in gospel truth do to us? Paul tells us in verse 16, it enriches. It enriches. Just as the putting on of love in being thankful gives us um, this harmony and this peace, so too in dwelling richly in gospel truth through with thankfulness enriches our life. In verse 16, he tells us. So here's what thankfulness does. Excuse me. Thankfulness has a way of clearing out what is crowding out our life. Because here's what it does. It fills our life, it fills our minds, it fills our hearts with something greater. It grounds us in what is distinctive. Now here's here's a personal application, personal story of this. One of the things that I've noticed um, in myself over the last several years is that when I take time before the Lord to bring to him what's heavy upon me, what's dominating my thinking in a prayerful manner, in, in, in quietness. Sometimes they'll show me these things that I'm not even aware of. But as I begin to name those things, you know, just, just kind of consuming me, they've kind of affected me at, at, at a root level, that as I begin to do this, the Lord then starts to show me things that he has done that I can be thankful for. He starts to draw out, oh yeah, um, as, for example, the end of the year is a great time to stop And recollect the past year, right? And so, as we walk through those things, it's easy to be dominated by all the hard things, all the conflicts, all the changes, the negative things that took place. But we sit there long enough with the Lord. What I've found to be true is that He will bring to remembrance oh, yeah, God brought that person into my life. God allowed us to do this thing in a new way. I mean, Look at, look at what was here, that's here now that wasn't a year ago. Wow. And as you start to do that, God brings these things to remembrance. And before you know it, what has crowded your attention has shifted to praise. That's what thankfulness does. Is it clears out what crowds. And makes our hearts and our minds and dwelt in something greater and that is holiness by grace here paul tells us and as we let the gospel truth have ample room in us what happens it becomes deeply implanted in us to such a way that it shapes and controls our thinking and then inevitably out of that it leads to a heightened joyousness that's what paul's saying right that your instruction, your admonition, your encouragement in these things then then goes into with singing, psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. He's not trying to make a distinction here. He's just trying to say this, that your instruction, trained with thankfulness, heightens in song, in enthusiasm. That we actually instruct and admonish gospel truth with vivid enthusiasm that enriches us together. And that even, that breaks out in singing. Our singing even is instructive in this way, in enriching. And so what we do, again, is not just an accessory too, but it is an enriching within us. It's an essential to the Christian life. So there's a quality of richness to the Christian life That manifests itself by this constant abiding in gospel truth. So, Christian, dwell upon the uncommon things that are yours in Christ. With thankfulness, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, for you are holy. And that leads us to dimension number three. Paul gives us this one in verse 17, and this is dimension three. Giving thanks, the Christian lives as hopeful in life as beloved. Giving thanks, the Christian lives as hopeful in life as beloved. Verse 17, the third usage of this term in this passage, Paul uses it in the form of the present active participle. Okay, again, here's what that means. It's a descriptive doing. It's a doing. It's a descriptive doing. It's a verbal adjective. It's, it's, it's a description that roots all of your doing. Thank, giving thanks. Why? Because you are dearly loved of God, the third reality, verse 12. Chosen, holy, beloved. This is the third reality of the Christian. Being dearly loved enlivens the Christian life he says. It becomes descriptive of all of our doing. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, Paul unpacks this for us once again. He shows us that the Christian's life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, I told you to think about where Christ is a moment ago. Think about yourself being hidden in Christ in God, okay? Okay. That's some serious kind of vault right there, right? If that was a safe, nobody could crack it, right? All of you, every dimension of your life, Paul says, is set in that, is hidden away in that reality, encapsulated in that. So all of our doing, all of our going, is within this continual reality in life. Our life is hidden with God in Christ as the beloved. Nothing in this life stands outside of his complete provisional care. I don't know what 2019 offered to you, but none of it stands outside of his continual provisional care care. I don't know what 2020 holds for you and me, but none of that stands outside of his perfect and complete provisional care. And that's the reality of the Christian. So Paul says this, let all of your doing be in giving thanks. Let all that you do and say each day be surrounded with this reality. That in everything we do, we are to retain a sense of God's goodness and to be careful to thank him. Now, here's the the cool thing about this, that as we are careful to thank him in all of these things, God has a way to help us to see and sense in a deeper way his goodness in our everyday life. So, the Christian giving thanks lives as hopeful. And what does this hope of the beloved do? It emboldens. It emboldens us. Paul goes on to tell us this in verse 2 of chapter 4. And then also, this is the foundation by which he gives the instruction of chapter 4. So then, as husbands, as wives, as employees, as children, as servants, all of these things, you do this because you know that you are well kept in every way in Christ. So his instruction unpacks here that it emboldens our life in all that we do. You see, thanksgiving is the tipping point of the Christian life. It's the spilling over with confidence in who God's called us to be and who we will become. Paul has already told us this in Colossians 2 verses 5 through 7, that the Christian life abounds in thanksgiving, that giving thanks points to the essential of acting in the name of Jesus, knowing that all of us is well-kept in everything. So this, this is what this does for us. It makes us live each day and in every way oriented to him and drawing attention to him, knowing that we will appear with him always that our ultimate hope is rooted in glory at the end. Paul says this in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So Christian, don't just forget who you are. I mean, don't just remember who you are. Don't just live a life enriched in gospel truth, making ample room for this in your life, but then... Now live your days emboldened with the hope that you have, giving thanks in all of your doing for you are the beloved of God. Nothing will change that. Nothing falls outside of that reality. And so let 2020 be defined by such. i fumbled through a few ways of how to conclude here and I thought the best place to conclude was to return back to what Paul has already laid forth for us, this illustration of the putting on and putting off, this new wardrobe that Christ has given us that we are to take upon ourselves. Um, and so right now, as I think about it, uh, in our house, uh, our clothes just tend to disappear, okay? And what I mean by that is uh, having a four-year-old and a one-year-old Um, We will find a single shoe randomly in our house. We'll find, you know, just odd pairings or just missing pieces of our wardrobe, you know, kind of scattered about in our house. And that's because our daughters love to try on mommy and daddy's clothes. No matter how cumbersome it may be or annoying it is for mom and dad, okay? Okay. Do you remember growing up trying on your parents' clothes or your grandparents' clothes or whoever, you know, might have been? I do. I think there's I think there's embarrassing evidence out there, actually, that my that my family still has to this day um, that I have done this. Okay? And I think in much the same way, the new life of the Christian is like this. It's like a child putting on your parents' clothes. It may feel unnatural, ill-fitting, and even oversized, like we have way more growing up to do before it will fit, right? But nonetheless, that's the call of the Christian. To put on the likeness of Jesus in every dimension, and as we close ourselves with the likeness of Jesus fully submitting to him in our thankfulness. We find that these likenesses become our own. We start to fill out this wardrobe that we've received as chosen, holy, and beloved. And this is what Paul's calling our attention to this morning. So through thankfulness, the Christian's newness of life Gains shape and dimension. And so in the words, in conclusion, in the words of Colossians 1, 6, let the gospel, therefore, that has come to you, bear fruit and increase among you as it is bearing fruit and increasing in the whole world. Just as there's a layered richness to the Christian life, or to the gospel, there is meant to be a layered richness to your life in Christ. Because in thankfulness we remember we are chosen holy and beloved